Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Double Double. Please make sure, if you haven't yet already, to subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate all those five-star reviews, and if, if you have any, uh, any other feedback, we'd love to hear from you guys. On today's episode, we're going to kind of bounce around the league, and we're going to start in the Western Conference. Dave, who would you like to, to begin with? I think we have to start with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, actually, right before we went on, I saw a notification come along my phone saying LeBron is in playoff mode. It's been activated for the second half of the season or, or the final 25 games. And the Lakers, they're currently in 10th place in the West at 28 and 29. And they're three games back of the eight seed. And I mean, just kind of going off of that LeBron's engagement, does LeBron need to be fully engaged to have them make the playoffs? I think he, he needs to be around 90% engagement level. I think he was probably around 80 last year with, with Cleveland. And just the West, the West is just way better than the East, so he'll probably have to step it up a little bit. And this has to be the earliest that he's ever gone, the quote-unquote playoff mode LeBron in, in the regular season because this Lakers team is a highly flawed team right now because it's, it's all on LeBron's shoulders. The young guys haven't really made that huge jump the way that everyone was hoping. And the surrounding veterans, which they added to the team in the offseason, didn't really make much sense when they did it then, and they still don't make that much sense now. So the Lakers have a lot of work to do in these last 25 games to, to not only make the playoffs, but give any hope to that they could win more than two games in the playoff series. I mean, outside of LeBron, LeBron's their, their last hope. If they didn't have LeBron their season, they wouldn't have made it this far. Their season's over. Their only reason why we, as well as most people, think they have a chance is because they have LeBron. But something I'm also kind of keeping an eye on is Luke Walton, just because LeBron has that rep of, I don't want to say being a coach killer, but he doesn't have the greatest relationship with many of his coaches over the in the past. And I don't think Luke Walton is a bad coach, but I also don't necessarily think he's a coach that you're winning because of. And and there's only a few in the league, really, that are you know clear-cut positives that are, I mean, you got Bud and Pop and Spolstra, and there's probably three or four more that are uh, give their teams a definitive Kerr, Kerr right? Uh, Stevens that give their give their teams a definitive advantage, and I, Walton, I don't think anyone would argue is in that class. Let me just defend Walton really quickly, just defend him very slightly, which is that LeBron is notoriously really hard to coach, and the team that he has isn't built for that much success for LeBron. So I'm agreeing with you that Walton should be on the hot seat, but. It's not just because of the coaching decisions he's made. It's due to the greater structure of the team. A lot of this is on Magic Johnson. Right. No, definitely. Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka bear a lot of the blame. I think right now Luke Walton's most redeeming quality is that his father is is Bill Walton, and he's a ton of fun to listen to, call Pac-12 games. But the one question... The Conference of Champions. Conference of Champions. This dude's biting candles out of cupcakes. <laughs> But which which young piece on the Lakers are you kind of the most high on, or, or would you like to buy stock in right now and, and kind of ride, ride it out? I mean, I feel like the right answer should be Brandon Ingram. 
but there's something about Kyle Kuzma that that I just want more of. And it's it's interesting because Lonzo has kind of his value has kind of fallen off the last couple of years as as he's I think he's been what everyone thought he would be and just super low lows but also some really good highs and his family is such a distraction and Ingram just he's still really young but hasn't taken that that huge step Kuzma has just been awesome since he got in the league he's an interesting personality as well he's a good shooter he plays decent defense and he fits alongside LeBron and I think that's the biggest thing of all the young guys the Lakers have is that Kuzma probably makes the most sense next to James. Yeah, no, I uh, I mean, Kuzma's a dog. Kuzma, my answer to that question is Kyle Kuzma. I think he, you know, Brandon Ingram has all this theoretical potential that hasn't been realized yet, and I'm not sure it ever will be realized. He's He plays hard, so I don't want to say he's like Andrew Wiggins, but in a sense, he's this guy who a lot of people look at his skill set, his athleticism, his frame, his body type. And, you know, cast him to be something that he hasn't yet proven to be. So I think he's he's kind of an enigma in that sense. Lonzo Ball, I mean, in a sense, the Lakers essentially chose him over D'Angelo Russell two summers ago. And that yeah. decision, I'm not sure if they had a, if they had a mulligan, if they'd take it or not. I, I think they might, given Lonzo's family situation and his free throws. He's shooting 40-something something percent from the free throw line. That's not very encouraging. And then Josh Hart, he's obviously not in the discussion with these guys in terms of talent, but he's a great fit next to LeBron. So I think of those four, the ones who I would like to see, you know, paired with LeBron and not necessarily traded away this offseason because a trade just feels inevitable would be Hart and Kuzma. I think Lonzo and, and Ingram you can kind of get rid of and I wouldn't have any issues with, and I don't think the Lakers should have any issues with. But, um, I mean, in my opinion, the Lakers' young core – I think I think Kuzma is he's an absolute dog. Like he just he has that mindset, and um, that that's a guy that I think I would like to play with, and I think LeBron LeBron loves playing with. I think it's actually really interesting in that before they had LeBron, this Lakers young core was really exciting, and you would looking three to four years in the future when when Ingram and Lonzo more got more experience, and they reached hopefully a higher level of their potential. This was a this seemed like it was going to be a really dangerous team, but the the acquisition of James, he's such a he's such a force in the league that you kind of have to change your whole strategy around around him. And you never want to trade a guy like Brandon Ingram, but but like as you said, it's it's almost you're not building a basketball team that that you think can can win. You like you, like, you just have to change your strategy so so quickly. Like, you're building a team to win with James, not just win based on how Johnson wants to play. It's that, it's that you have to build it for the way to win with LeBron while you still have him, which I think is a really important distinction to make, is that everything that they should have been doing was building the perfect team around James, the way that Cleveland kind of did. And what they did is that they tried to fit James into their existing system, which isn't really working. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka, they have had success in other areas of the industry. I mean, Magic obviously is one of the best players of all time. Palenka was a very well-known and successful agent repping Kobe Bryant and James Harden, amongst other guys. But I think in, the, in a front office role, they've kind of... Uh, 
they haven't really delivered in a sense for, for Laker Nation. They've showed their inexperience a lot. They've showed their, their inexperience and they really have, you know, have been on the better end of a lot of gifts, which is that the, when they had the number two pick, it was that the kid is from Southern California, he's from Chino Hills, so that was an easy pick. They're gifted Tyson Chandler when the, when the Suns bought him out. And then they were almost gifted LeBron James by LeBron making a life decision to, to move to Los Angeles and not truly a basketball one. Moving up uh, the coast, Golden State Warriors. Yeah, they're in first place in the Western Conference at 41-16. and 16. What are you, you kind of watching with, with Golden State down the home stretch here? Yeah, so I think that the Warriors are, in, are maybe one of the two or three most interesting teams to watch the rest of the season because in the four-year run prior to this with Steve Kerr, They've had the best winning percentage of any four-year period in NBA history. That includes the Showtime Lakers, Larry Bird Celtics, LeBron Miami, Jordan's Bulls. Any four-year period that you want to look at in NBA history, their, their last four-year career, they've had the best winning percentage. And I think that this team can truly, these last 25 games, cement their legacy as perhaps the best dynasty in NBA history if they go all out and win 23 of the next 25 and cruise their way to a championship and dominate to, to the championship. So I think that's one way they can go. Or they could go the other way, turn the switch down and you know win, go 15 and 10 and make us all wonder going into the playoffs, like, should we be worried about the Warriors? Like, I'm really interested to see how much they care about the the title of quote unquote like best team or best dynasty ever. Yeah, I think my answer to that question is they're gonna go, they're going for, and it's one simple reason why. Draymond Green is going for defensive player of the year. He has a ton of money riding on that outcome. If he wins defensive player of the year, he is eligible for a five year two hundred and thirty five million dollar extension. And don't think Draymond Green isn't aware of that scenario. So he his options are either win MVP, that's not happening, win defensive player of the year, it's possible, if not likely, if he keeps up his play and is able to stay healthy, or finish on the one of the first three All-NBA teams, which that's not going to happen. He's shooting like 22% from three. So you, we've seen it in the past when Draymond is engaged and Draymond brings that fire and intensity the Warriors raise their play to a new level. And just knowing that Draymond, what he has at stake, I don't think there's any question what type of Warriors team we're going to see for the last 25 games of the season. And it's also not just Draymond who has a lot on the line. DeMarcus Cousins has a lot on the line too. Because if he can go out and dominate these last 25 games and, and through the playoffs, that, that he's back from that Achilles injury and, he's the, and that he's the same player, he'll be in line for a huge payday this offseason as well. And, and another really interesting thing that, you know, just to watch for, speaking of Cousins, is kind of his integration into the whole, into the way that the Warriors play. But I think it would be really interesting to see because on paper with the five All-Stars, you really wonder how they can be beat. But you, like, you have to see it on the floor for an extended period of time as well. And so I'm really excited to, to watch that. Yeah, I think Boogie, return, obviously returning from the Achilles injury, like you said, he's looked all right. He definitely doesn't look as spry as he did 
say in his Sacramento days. But my question to you, we had the discussion earlier this week about MVP. And we, neither of us included Katie or Steph. We both kind of acknowledged that they, you know, had the numbers, had the impact. But just because they're on the same team, we just decided not to include them because we felt as though they kind of canceled each other out. But to the Warriors, who do you think is a more valuable player? To the Warriors and just their identity and the way that they play, the emphasis on playing with joy, I think it's... I think Steph Curry is is slightly, very, very slightly more important to the Warriors than than Kevin Durant is, just because of just kind of like the identity and the emotion of the team. Durant is might be a better basketball player than Steph and probably is, but I think it really still is Steph's team. And that when Steph is out, it you, they play just a little differently, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think in the context of Golden State, I think Steph is a more valuable player. But I think if I were starting a team from scratch, I would much prefer to have Kevin Durant as my main piece than yeah. Stephen Curry. Not that mm-hmm. Stephen Curry is a product of the, a system in Golden State. He's definitely a beneficiary of kind of the setup and the pieces around him. But just if I were to... You know, all right, we're starting a new team. You're you're drafting for the Charlotte Hornets. You have X pick. The best two players on the board are KD and Steph. I think I'm taking KD, and I'm not really thinking much. Like, I'm not thinking hard about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be an easy pick in that hypothetical fantasy draft, like you were saying. Durant, I would also pick him before Curry. But now, one question I had, though, is kind of, Speaking of Durant, is what what do you think would have to happen these last twenty five games and the playoffs for for Durant to stay in Golden State? I think his mind's already made up. Mm-hmm. The only thing at this point, I mean, he can he can try and chase the rings and just you know stack them up and get as many as he can. And if I were him, that's what I would be thinking of. But I think I think he already has his mind set. He's either he already either knows he's going to New York. Or he knows he's staying and it seems as though from all the talk that he's leaning New York but no one really knows with Kevin Durant I think an interesting thing to take into account is that the Warriors they are opening a new stadium next year uh, I believe it's in downtown San Francisco and he's got a lot of money invested in the area so maybe he wants to stick around and, and see it through but if I were him, I would just – if if he were to stay and they were able to keep the band together, even if they lose DeMarcus Cousins, I think they're still the, the favorite the next two or three years after this. Yeah. So if, if, yeah. He, if he want – if he's seriously, you know, thinking and taking into account his basketball legacy, I think the, the easy play is to stay in in Golden State. But ultimately, I I think the, the noise and the smoke surrounding – kind of KD and the Knicks and his, his business partner, Rich Kleiman. Uh, I think that's real. And if I had to guess win or lose this year, the finals, I think, I think he's, uh, he's not staying in the Bay area. I think that the only thing that would keep him in golden state is if, is if the Warriors shockingly do not win the title again. I think that's the only way that he stays kind of, as you said, the, the unfinished business with, with the Warriors and, and wanting more titles. And I don't really believe that his 
his investments, his financial investments will keep him there because I feel like you can, these guys are so big and if he goes to another big market, you can really handle business anywhere in the world nowadays and especially in the off season, he can always just go back and live in San Francisco. Yeah. But I really think that the only way he stays playing basketball for the Golden State Warriors is if they, is if they somehow don't win the, win the championship this year. That's interesting. I mean, I guess time will tell. But going back down to the capital of California, I, I did not imagine that I would have any interest in, in watching the Sacramento Kings. But I love their young core. Marvin Bagley, Darren Fox, Buddy Heald, even though he's, he's a year older than he said he was. Uh, Harry Giles, <laughs> Bogdanovich is really good. One of like seven Bogdanoviches in the NBA. But Bogdan Bogdanovich is a stud. And I was thinking about this the other day. It's not realistic because their draft pick, um, it's to the ball uh, to the Celtics unless it's first and then it's to the 76ers. But imagine if you put Zion in Sacramento. They would be the most fun team to watch. And outside of the major markets, you know, the New Yorks, the Chicago's, I could not imagine a better scenario for him in terms of just the surrounding budding young talent i like i said it's it's not going to happen so it's a pipe dream where i that that's my favorite landing spot for zion out of all the hypothetical situations yeah that is really interesting to think about zion on that team but i also think that the biggest takeaway from from the king season this year is that De'Aaron fox looks like the future all-star that that he showed during his best moments at kentucky this dude is a baller. He is. He combined his great athleticism and, and intensity that we all saw at Kentucky, but he's now added a reliable jump shot where you have to respect it now. He's not the non-shooter he was at Kentucky and, and, and his rookie season. You now have to guard him out to three, and it's completely changed the dynamic of his game and the and, and the future of the Kings organization because they now have a guy. Bagley's been awesome. Heald is a perfect fit next to Fox. It's shocking to say, but but the Kings have put together a really nice team. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. De'Aaron Fox, you can make the argument. You know that rookie class last year was lauded as being you know so so advanced for their age and with ben simmons and donovan mitchell in that rookie of the year race and then jason tatum's kind of showcase in the playoffs they kind of stole the spotlight but i think if if given the option to elect any one of those four like which four has the highest ceiling obviously if ben simmons can hone his jump shot he's probably the clear pick but darren fox belongs in that conversation he is dangerous and I would love to see the Kings in the playoffs. Right now, they're they're ninth in the West at 30 and 27, but I just do not want them in at the expense of the Lakers. So hopefully they can both get in. But it, it, it kind of raised some eyebrows when the Kings, they took Marvin Bagley, who's having a great season. He's averaging like 13 and 7. He's been coming off the bench a lot. But kind of what are your, your, your general impressions of him? Because it was a little shocking when they took he over Luka. Yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely, definitely thought, thought that, that Luca should have been the first pick, and it was, it was surprising to see him fall as far as he did, but Bagley is, is an awesome player, and he, he kind of fits in the modern NBA 
and and he's proven that is that he's super athletic. He can get up and down the court. He's extremely active. He's a very good rebounder. Very good touch around the hoop. And and he's young. He's nineteen or twenty. And the guy got guys who can score and prove that they can score stick around in the NBA. And, and he's proven that he can score at an NBA level. And having Zach Randolph there for at least the beginning part of the season was probably a huge, huge help to a guy like Bagley of learning how to how to be a man and, and learning how to conduct himself as a professional. And then also just getting true on-court you know, advice about how to dominate in the low post as a lefty from from Zach Randolph, who's been doing it for for a decade plus. So Bagley has just been super impressive this whole season. And you know, I probably still would have picked Luca, but Bagley has it's not as bad of a pick as as people think it think it is. Yeah, I think he's gonna be I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he made a couple all star games for sure. But kind of moving on now to another team in the Western Conference who's kind of had a surge of late the utah jazz and this is not new territory for them last year they were 26 and 6 from february to the end of the regular season and really kind of turned their season around went on a tear donovan mitchell really came into his own in his rookie season and i mean this year they've kind of followed in that same in those same footsteps they're 14 and 6 so far in this calendar year uh, they added Kyle Korver. That was, I believe, that was back in December, and that's that's a huge pickup. Uh, it's an, I mean, I, I'm looking for there to be an investigation into how Rudy Gobert wasn't an All Star because he is unquestionably the most impactful defensive player in the league. And given his offense and kind of, I mean, the vertical spacing, if you will, he provides. I think it's not crazy to have him as a top 15 top 20 player in the nba and i mean like i said he didn't make an all-star game and i think that's criminal but donovan mitchell as i mentioned earlier is coming into his own he's he shouldn't have been an all-star this year but i think there's definitely some all-star games on the horizon for him coming my question for you is it's a little bit of an over under if i told you five all-star games for donovan mitchell over the course of his NBA career, are you taking the over or the under? Over the course of his entire career, I think he'll probably get to five or six. Because and I, the reason why it probably would be more is just that currently the Western Conference is so loaded at the guard position that I think it will that'll be tough for him to, to break through the way that it took a while for Damian Lillard to get his first All-Star appearance and you know, we, we talk about a guy who's probably one of the eight best point guards in the whole NBA, and Mike Conley, who, who still has zero all-star appearances. So it's definitely really hard at the guard spot in the NBA to make it. But I think because he's so young that in, in his prime, around 26 or 27, he'll be able to, to, to get to probably five or six over the course of his career. Utah, they kind of always struggle to attract free agents. And which is why it's it's so big. They hit hit a home run with Donovan Mitchell and then Rudy Gobert over um, the past probably five or six drafts. But one free agent they could have used, who elected not to play in Utah and instead decided to stay in Oklahoma City, was Paul George. Yeah. So 
With the Thunder, I think that they are one of the very few teams that could truly challenge the Warriors in a seven-game series. I think the team that, that you just talked about for a little bit, the, the Utah Jazz are one of them, and, and I think the Rockets have a chance, but, but I do think that the Thunder have a best chance. They're sitting at 37-20 and 20 right now, third in the West, and my question for you is, do you think that they can really challenge the Warriors in a seven-game series without home court advantage? Challenge, yes. Win, no. I don't, think, I don't think anyone's beating the Warriors this year, so that's first of all. But I do think of all the teams in the West right now, I'm the biggest believer in the Thunder giving the Warriors a competitive series. And it's already kind of baked into my mind that the Warriors are going to have home court advantage, so I'm not really even giving the Thunder... Uh, a possibility to you know have a huge run here where they go you know 18 and 6 and all of a sudden they're looking at the one seed I don't I'm kind of ruling that out of the picture I think Russell Westbrook despite his shooting numbers is having a very underrated season which is kind of ridiculous to say given the fact he's averaging about 22 11 and 11 but a lot of people kind of like to pick on Russell a little bit and obviously Paul George is coming into his own MVP candidate as we talked about I think they have the strongest possibility or the greatest chance of beating the Warriors in the playoffs I just don't think it's very likely but do you think of all the teams in the Western Conference do you give them the best best chance to upend Golden State yeah they they definitely have the best chance because they have all the pieces which is that they have the MVP candidate in Paul George, who's having a career year. They have an, an all-star and superstar point guard in Russell Westbrook, who, over the course of a seven-game series, will probably do some things that will be heavily criticized, and probably rightfully so, but also he'll do some great things over the course of that seven-game series, too. And, and they have the pieces where you see that they could challenge a team like the Warriors, because they're third in the NBA right now in uh, defensive rating. So they play really good defense, and their role players are really good. Steven Adams has, has just gotten better and better each year. Grant's been awesome. Ferguson's been awesome on the wings. Uh, Schroeder coming off the bench has been very good for them. They just have pieces that, that fit and make sense in a series against the Warriors. Yeah, and I think... So, so kind of going off what you just said, in a, ser- a series against the Warriors, if a game... You know, is down to the last possession, and you're Billy Donovan. Do you want the ball in Russell Westbrook's hands or Paul George's hands? I think I probably want the ball in Paul George's hands, but I'm okay with it in Westbrook's hands. Like ideally, I want George taking the taking the shot, but I want Westbrook creating. I feel exactly the same way. I want I want Westbrook creating and facilitating, and ultimately, I want George taking the shot. But I don't really trust Paul George necessarily to create for himself. In those situations, I think Russ is best at that. It's just sometimes his aggression plays against him. And, you know, that's we've seen that played out time and time again. So I think ultimately, Paul George, I want him taking the shot. But I think Westbrook initiating that shot, it seems as though a lot of Paul George's baskets this year have been off, you know, off-ball screens where Westbrook is the one getting the Mm -hmm. assist and something like that. But I think, um, you know, George taking the shot, Westbrook, making the play is, is kind of how I, I would like it to go down. And also just by having Westbrook, he's just, he's, he's got to be a great guy to coach in that he's not afraid of anything. 
So you may get really mad at him and frustrated when, when he does something crazy and he keeps shooting all these threes, even though he's not shooting even 30% from three and he, he just tries to do too much, but also he's not afraid of the moment. And, and as you're saying with Paul George, I don't know if Paul George has that super alpha male when in game seven at Oracle Arena, down one, like a guy who's like, give me the ball, get out of the way, I'm taking us to the, to the promised land. And, and also Westbrook's not afraid to take the criticism. Like a lot of guys want to be the hero, but they don't want to be the GOAT. And Westbrook is okay with being the GOAT, which I think is a really important thing about him. Yeah, we've seen Paul George make those shots in Gatorade commercials, but we haven't really seen it, you know, borne out in real life. So yeah. until he's able to kind of create that on his own, I'm, I'm giving the rock to Westbrook and just telling him to go make a play, and hopefully the ball winds up in Paul George's hands. So tra- transitioning to the Eastern Conference, right in your backyard, David, the Brooklyn Nets might be the shock of the season so far in the NBA. Yeah, it's, it's either them or, or the team we talked about before the, the Sacramento Kings are being are the are the two shock surprising teams of the NBA. And and is it safe to say that that the Nets have come out from 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 the other side of the Celtics trade in just a great situation and in, in a great spot going forward? Can like can we say that? I think we can say that. I'm not sure if they had a if they could do it over again. I, I I'm not sure they'd make this trade if this is what they knew was coming out the other end. But they've definitely rebounded, and it's been an organic rebuild. They've kind of taken their lumps as they've come and kind of built this up from ground zero the the tough way. They haven't really had any major free agent acquisitions or any trades. I mean, they they did trade for D'Angelo Russell, but at the time he wasn't a superstar. He kind of developed into an all star under the tutelage of Kenny Atkinson, who's a great coach, by the way. Brooklyn, their ceiling is kind of the 60, just because the five teams ahead of them, they're not they're not going to catch. So mm-hmm. their goal for the rest of the season should be to hold on to the sixth seed. Hopefully the Pacers get the three seed and, and, and kind of face an undermanned Pacers team. But I'm not sure if... They really have – they're going to try and make a play for a free agent this summer. So down the home stretch here, not only are they playing for this season, but they're also trying to prove themselves as an attractive destination for a Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris or someone along those lines who might want to come play in Brooklyn. And if they see this team is a piece or two away from serious contention in the Eastern Conference. Let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there. Why are they only in the conversation for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris? Why aren't they being talked about for Kevin Durant? Last time I checked, Kelly, Brooklyn and New York City, you know, Manhattan, were part of the larger New York City. They only connected by a couple bridges and a tunnel. And, and, and also, the Nets are in a better spot than, than the Knicks moving forward. They got a lot better talent. If you plug Durant in, that's a championship contending team. Why aren't they being talked about for Durant? Jay-Z used to be a minority owner of the Nets. Durant is a part of Rock Nation Sports. You know, it fits. I'll tell you why. So, first of all, the Madison Square Garden is, I think most players have stated on the record it's their favorite place to play, hands down. So that's one factor. 
Second factor is KD can only go to one place. If you put him in New York on the Knicks, the Knicks are then better than the Nets. If you put him on the Nets, the Nets are then better than the Knicks. I, I disagree with you on, on just the idea that just by putting KD on the Knicks that they're automatically better than the Nets. So, so let's just say hypothetically that the Knicks get the, the, the third pick and they take John Morant. Are the, are the Knicks with John Morant, Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Knox, Mitchell Robinson, Noah Vonley, and now Kevin Durant? Let's just say that those are the only significant moves that, that are added, and you just, they just roll back the next team, like, like the same team next year, and adding Durant to that team. Are they really better than a team with all-star D'Angelo Russell, presumptive future all-star Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Crew Rooks. I don't know if they're just immediately better. Kevin Durant going to New York is contingent on another star going with him. So I don't really think that's it's, this is necessarily a fair argument just because in all likelihood, Kevin Durant's not just going to go to New York if he's the only superstar going. True. And I think that if he was the only superstar going, we'll, we'll be in a, in a situation that we are in right now with LeBron and, and the Lakers, a team with a super star player, one of the all-time greats, that just isn't built to win immediately. But then the last thing that, that I'll say about the Nets is that Sean Marks is not getting the, the type of credit nationally that he deserves. I think that part of that is just because, as you said, the Nets are currently just 500 or, or one game over 500. But the only asset that he's had since he took over is cap space. And with that cap space, he was able to acquire the picks that turned into Jared Allen. He was able to acquire the picks that turned into Karis LeVert. He was able to acquire D'Angelo Russell, mainly because he took on Timothy Mozgov's contract. So basically all their best young players have come to the team through just the, with the only asset being cap space. And they're also playing like the... Like the Moneyball-ish style of play with a huge emphasis on threes and pace and no mid-range shots and, and everything. And, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And also hiring the right coach in Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson, in a similar way to how Brett Brown had to endure some struggles early in his Philadelphia days, Kenny Atkinson was getting dragged through the mud there for a few years in Brooklyn where there was no hope. With the, with the Celtics trade, they didn't have their own draft pick. So not only were they bad, but there was no hope because their draft pick was going to the Celtics and that draft pick turned into Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So can you, ima- can you imagine if this same Nets roster had Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum on it? Or Colin Sexton. And this is not even to mention Karis LeVert had that. He was their best player before his, his ankle injury. You could, you could make the argument that he, he would have been the Nets all-star representative rather than D'Angelo Russell. So it'll be interesting to see to see how he rebounds in the second half. Another team in the Eastern Conference, the Pacers, are 38 and 20, third in the conference, and their best player, Victor Oladipo, ruptured his patella tendon. So without him, they lost their first four games, and then they went six and one since heading into the All-Star break. And I'm just I'm interested in seeing how the bonus and Miles Turner and Thaddeus Young and another Bogdanovich 
I don't. I think this is like yeah. Boyan Bogdanovich. He's he's freaking good though. Wesley Matthews just signed with them. Aaron Holiday, the younger brother of Justin and Drew Holiday, he's gonna get his shot. But I'm just I'm I want to see if this team is for real and how much of their success is because of Victor Oladipo and how how good are these players specifically Sabonis and Miles Turner and are they able yeah. to lead a team? Because I mean Vic was their guy and he, he their best player. No question about it. And he's now he's out for the rest of the season. I'm interested to see, do they sink or swim? Yeah, yeah. I, I, have I have a question, question for you about the Indiana Pacers. Pacers. Do you think, think that, that the that, that their second, second guy, you know, the, the running, running mate to Oladipo going, going forward, forward is on the roster right now? Do you think, because I personally think that it's a bonus. Because I'm not really that sold on Turner. Do you think that they have that second guy on the team right now? Or do they have to find a way to acquire him? My short answer would be they have to acquire him. Sabonis is feasting on bench units. He's their sixth man. He's also going against teams' benches, which is not a problem. Someone's got to go against the bench. He's putting up crazy numbers. If it were that easy, everyone would be doing it. James Harden did that. Like James, James Harden feasted when, when he was in OKC in his first few years. Sixth man. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from him, but that's the fact of the matter. If you put him in the starting lineup, I'm sure he'd still have – Decent numbers, but he's not going against starters. So that's the first thing. Miles Turner, I think he he's a poor man's Carl Towns in, in the sense that he can shoot. He has a versatile offensive game. He's a much better defender than Carl Towns, so I'll give him that. I don't think he's the guy, and they've paid him like they think he might be the guy. So that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But the move that was talked about, and wasn't consummated that I think might have a chance of being done in the offseason. I think I think they need another guard who can create. And I think that man currently resides in Memphis, Mike Conley. I would have loved wow. to see them pair Oladipo and Conley. And you run out a lineup of Conley, Oladipo, Bogdanovich, Miles Turner, and then you could throw in Thaddeus Young or Sabonis. And I, I think that five, just kind of taking some of the ball handling responsibilities away from Oladipo, letting him play off ball, and then upgrading from Darren Collison to Mike Conley, who hasn't made an all-star game. We've talked about that before. Is getting paid a lump sum of money. Talked about that before. Given those and kind of the talk around him, I still think he's a bit underrated. I still think he's a very solid point guard who – has kind of fallen off the radar because he's been injured. His team hasn't had success of late and he's just, he's kind of, he's kind of flown under the radar. And I think if he would have had the chance to go to Indiana, it, it looked like it was going to happen or there was a chance it happened at the trade deadline. And ultimately it didn't. I think it could still happen in this off season. But what do you think? Do you think they have to go out and get someone or do you think that they can kind of stay pat and remain competitive in the East? I think they probably have to go out and, and get someone, I love Sabonis, and I love his game. I think you're probably right that I'm probably a little too high on him right now and that he's probably better served as, as that third guy. But how about this? How about they call up New Orleans and they say, we don't want Anthony Davis. What about Drew Holiday? Do they have the assets to go get Drew Holiday? I love that idea. I thought you were going down the Anthony Davis rabbit hole, and I was about to be like, Hey, this is Dell Dems. Goodbye, because that's not that's not happening. But for Drew Holiday, I think that's I think that's a it, Drew Holiday is a better player than Mike Conley. 
if you can get Drew Holiday and not tear apart your roster and pair Drew Holiday with Victor Oladipo, I like that idea even better than Mike Conley. But I'm just not sure if you're going to be able to get Drew Holiday without giving up so much where your roster is so depleted that you're not just better off just going and getting Mike Conley and keeping much of your roster intact. What about like Miles Turner and a couple firsts and the salaries to match? I definitely think either Miles Turner or Sabonis are expendable because they're a bit redundant. I would probably prefer to keep Miles Turner at this point. I think he's a little... I just trust him a little more than Sabonis. I know Sabonis is the safe pick, but I think Turner has a much higher ceiling if he can kind of kind of be more consistent, if you will. So so I would, I mean, if, if they want to take Sabonis, Aaron Holiday, Bogdanovich, and a pick for Drew Holiday, yeah, we can we could do that deal yesterday. But I'm not sure I'm not sure that's getting it done. But I do think Drew Holiday could very realistically be on the table when because it's not if anymore, when Anthony Davis gets traded, I think New Orleans would be foolish to hold on to Drew Holiday. Just clean house, rack up all the assets you can get, and just kind of start over. And I think that the biggest thing that, that people aren't talking about is I think New Orleans has to be the franchise that everyone's looking at as the team that might move to Seattle and getting as many salaries off the books and Holly's a big salary, getting as many salaries off the books will probably make them a more tantalizing option for whatever new ownership group wants to take them to the home of Amazon and Starbucks and the Pacific Northwest. So I think that's a really interesting wrinkle that, that might come up in, in the next 18 months or so as we see what happens with, with Davis. Ultimately, I think there is a team in Seattle. I think it's either going to be an expansion team or the Pelicans. So I think you're on to something there. Let's let's wrap this thing up. Philly. Mm-hmm. News came out today. Joel Embiid's being shut down for a week. We, we praised his health on the last podcast. So we're sorry if we jinxed it, Philadelphia. Hopefully he's all right. It seems like it's just a little preventative measure. He's 7-1. He's listed as 250, but he's closer to three bills. So they're 37-21, and 21, fifth in the East. This is probably their best shot at the finals. We're not sure what's going to happen with Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick in, in free agency. I think at this point, I think it's more likely than not, especially with the acquisition of Harris, that Jimmy Butler is is gone. I think he's going to chase the money. He's going to chase the money. Me first, guy. Me first. Right. And, and a lot of times, you know, you hear these stories of teams saying they didn't realize how how – short or how narrow their window was they kind of thought oh we'll be back we'll have another chance i think for philly with with jimmy and tobias and jj in the fold i'm not sure all of them are back and so i think for philly this is the year to go for it yeah and and it's really interesting they, they've gone all in they've given up a lot of their young core trading away sarge and faults all the guys who are a part of a part of the a part of the rebuild and the process and they've kind of traded those guys away for the for the more immediate realizing Embiid and Simmons are so advanced that they that their window is probably now starting now. So why not try to maximize it? I think the problem is that I just don't think they can win the title this year. And they might make the finals, but I don't. I really don't see them making it past the Eastern Conference Finals this year. And 
and it's really interesting because they went all in. They have one of the best starting fives in the NBA. They they start four all stars basically, and and I don't know if, if it was worth it. They're my pick for to represent the East in the finals. They have the best blend of experience and talent. Ultimately, it's gonna be tough for anyone to beat the Warriors. I I don't think you can say with a straight face that you're picking anyone to beat Golden State this year or really any of the past couple years. So the, the four in the East are the Raptors, the Bucks, the 76ers, and Boston. Indiana is up there, but with Vic out, it's not happening. Those are the four teams. I, we assume those are the four teams in the Eastern Conference semifinals. I like Philly better than any of the other three. I think the other three have issues. Milwaukee, until I see Giannis get it done in the postseason, I just feel like there's a way to he, – he's surrounded with shooters, but his lack of shooting, and I know it's kind of hypocritical of me to criticize his lack of shooting when I'm praising the 76ers and Ben Simmons' jump shot, which is non-existent, but I just think the pieces in Philadelphia, Joel Embiid is – I'm not sure he can be stopped in the post. It's – I'm not I'm not picking against Philly right now and things can change, but right now I feel comfortable in saying that Philly is the favorite in the Eastern Conference. See, that's where that's where I disagree. First off, I don't think that it's hypocritical for you to for you to criticize Giannis and, and his lack of shooting with Ben Simmons is because on the Bucks is that Giannis is clearly the Bucks best player and on and on the Sixers Embiid is is their best player and Simmons isn't asked to do as much, so so his lack of, of a jumper impacts the seven stages, but not in the same degree as Giannis. I still think that Toronto is, is probably the team that will come out of the East. And, and I think it's really interesting because the top four is so close and they're just going to beat up on each other. And, but I, I still just think that with Kawhi Leonard and the team that the Raptors have built around him, I still think that they're just that they have the edge over the rest of these teams, and I think that everyone else has to go through the the typical playoff progressions that a lot of teams do. Like Giannis will have to go through the ups and downs of battling in the playoffs, and the same thing with the 76ers team. But the Raptors have guys who who have gone through those those previous battles, and they seem ready to take that next leap. Jordan struggled with the Celtics, and then the Pistons for years. LeBron struggled. No one just has walked into the playoffs and had success. Giannis. It's really just the Warriors who made the playoffs those those couple years and then immediately became the best team maybe in the history of the NBA, who had never had you know lost a finals or battled and lost brutal conference finals series and everything. It's really just just the Warriors who have kind of kind of dispelled that notion in recent years and have really gone against the grain. They they the year prior, Mark Jackson got fired after losing the Clippers, so they. They even endured yeah. some struggles. But my point is Giannis has never even won a playoff series. So to all of a sudden just have him, you know, chalked in for the finals is difficult, which is why I'm I'm not picking the Raptors. I said I'm picking the Sixers as of now. But I think the Eastern Conference Finals, assuming the seedings light up, is going to be the Raptors and the Sixers. I think Milwaukee, you know, Giannis is going to have to go through some growing pains. He might win MVP this year. But he's gonna have to, he's just gonna have to learn in the playoffs, man. It's a different beast. And yeah. in Boston, we we've talked about their troubles in the past as well. I just think they have too much going on. Kyrie, I mean, I remember a couple. I don't know if it was last year or a couple years ago. He was 
talking about this conversation that he had with Kobe, how Kobe used to cause friction in the locker room. And that's all I can think about now when he, when Kyrie goes on these mini rants about, oh, we need guys who are more team players or, oh, these guys got to stop looking at their phones and actually have conversations. He's, he's trying to like channel his inner Kobe and yeah. it's doing the team more harm than good. So I just, I think, yeah. I just, I don't like Boston's outlook this year. I think Kyrie already kind of has one foot out the door, despite the fact that he said preseason Boston, I'm resigning. I don't think that's the case. Shout out Rachel Nichols. She does incredible work, but, but I don't know why Kyrie's going on and giving her an interview. Not because there's anything that Rachel doesn't do well, because she does everything well. She's an incredible journalist. But Kyrie just needs to stop talking, man. Everything he does, it just gets, it, it, it just makes the situation worse. It's incredible. Yeah, he's not doing himself any favors. So, yeah, it's um, <laughs> getting back to the Knicks conversation we were talking about earlier. I think it's not, I, I'm not coming up with anything new here. A lot of people have talked about it, but Kyrie and Katie teaming up in the Big Apple seems highly plausible this summer just given you know katie's business interests and Kyrie's, i mean seemingly disinterest in what's going on in boston despite them having a realistic chance at the finals i think we can put a bow on it and wrap it up there and before we wrap it up we just want to give a huge shout out to to our friend harry rafferty just signed with the with the sioux falls sky force the miami heat g league team just signed his first professional contract. He's on the team plane as we speak, heading to heading down to Long Island, Nassau Coliseum, see the Long Island Nets. And I'll be there tomorrow cheering on our good friend and, and hopefully future contributor to this great podcast. Yeah, he's going to have some great G League stories to share with us, I'm sure. So good luck, Raph. We will be, we'll be pulling for you. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Double Double.